<coughs> yeah good morning and and today today we are going to look at lipolysis in the adipose tissue the entire process in the adipose tissue where tag is broken down into free fatty acids this is lipolysis after that we shall look at fat, the different kinds of fatty acid oxidation we'll mainly focus on beta oxidation but remember there are disorders associated with other kinds of oxidation so we shall look at other kinds of fatty acid oxidation also and finally we shall look at the formation of ketone bodies or the metabolism of ketone bodies ketogenesis as well as the utilization of ketone bodies so that is what we are going to do in today's lecture okay now in the adipose tissue lipid is stored as triacylglycerol which is highly hydrophobic now in the fasting state triacylglycerol acts as a storehouse of energy or the adipose tissue acts as a storehouse of energy the triacylglycerol in the adipose tissue is broken down by this important enzyme called as hormone sensitive lipase hormone sensitive lipase now as the name tells you it is of course very sensitive to the presence of hormones besides that it's a lipase that means it breaks down triacylglycerol it's present within the adipocyte and it it breaks down triacylglycerol into what's called as free fatty acid which is liberated into the blood so free fatty acids also known as non esterified fatty acids and besides that the glycerol component of triacylglycerol is going to be released in the blood since glycerol cannot be utilized further in the adipose tissue now as the name tells you hormone sensitive there are two important groups of hormones that you have to think about one is insulin insulin inhibits hormone sensitive lipase this inhibition by insulin is very it's an important sense and the hormone sensitive lipase is almost very sensitive even to tiny amounts of the presence of insulin so it is inhibited by insulin and absence of insulin is what stimulates the hormone sensitive lipase or less of insulin is what stimulates the hormone sensitive lipase in the fasting state and finally epinephrine we shall look at how epinephrine stimulates the hormone sensitive lipase and this is especially important during the fasting as well as in the fight and flight response so in the adipocyte triacylglycerol is the storage form of um lipid broken down into free fatty acids and glycerol enzyme is hormone sensitive lipase inhibited by insulin and actually activated by epinephrine now once the free fatty acids are released free fatty acids enter into the blood stream also called as the non esterified fatty acids now since these are not lipid soluble they are bound to albumin so albumin basically transports the fatty acids released from the adipocyte takes it to the liver as well as the muscle it can be the skeletal and the cardiac muscle and within the skeletal and cardiac muscle takes this important or there is this important process of beta oxidation which is the major process of the oxidation of fatty acids for energy now glycerol cannot be metabolized within the adipocyte it enters the blood and is then taken to liver for further metabolism remember glycerol cannot be further utilized within the adipocyte so what happens during the fasting or the flight and fight response now in the fasting state there is less of insulin 
and as a result hormone sensitive lipase is present in what's called as the phosphorylated state because of deficiency or less of insulin low insulin glucagon ratio so presence of hormone sensitive lipase in this phosphorylated form will break down triacylglycerol and free fatty acids will be liberated which will enter into the blood stream now when there is high levels of epinephrine as in the flight or the fight response epinephrine binds to its receptor on the adipocytes you know this signal transduction mechanism where adenylate cyclase increase formation or increase levels of cyclic amp which will activate protein kinase a and protein kinase is going to phosphorylate hormone sensitive lipase so hormone sensitive lipase remember is active in the phosphorylated state and when it is active it will break down triacylglycerol to free fatty acids and glycerol now a small note on glycerol the glycerol that is formed cannot be further metabolized within the adipocytes that's because the adipocytes lack this important enzyme glycerokinase which is required for activation of glycerol yeah so what's the further fate of glycerol it goes to the liver and in the liver it can enter either glycolysis or gluconeogenesis or even triacylglycerol formation okay so depending on the state now once the free fatty acids are released from the adipocyte the free fatty acids have tr been transported in the blood remember it's complex to albumin now important tissues take up fatty acids from the blood one is liver for energy purposes the muscle both skeletal and cardiac muscle are are highly dependent on fatty acids as an energy supply now it's important to remember that even though you have high levels of fatty acids in the circulation in the fasting state brain does not like fatty acids so brain hates fatty acids it cannot oxidize fatty acids yeah so remember that fatty acids are not an important fuel source for the brain even in prolonged fasting and therefore we need to have an alternate fuel source for the brain and that is how we'll see in the later part of today's lecture we will see how ketone bodies help the brain to utilize uh, energy from ketone bodies okay so try to answer this question note that this question um includes both carbohydrate and lipid metabolism so we want you all to think about both of these met metabolic pathways or lipid and carbohydrate metabolism in the fed versus fasting state Okay. Any more responses? Okay. Let's let's look at the answer. So lipolysis in the adipose tissue. So when we say the term lipolysis, remember that is confined to the adipose tissue. Breakdown of tag or lipid in the adipocyte that is tagged to free fatty acids and glycerol. Liver glycolysis is not active in the fasting state. Glycogen synthesis is inhibited in the fasting state. glucose entry into the muscle is by glut4 
which is not active in the fasting state because that requires insulin. Tag synthesis is not active. So next we move on to oxidation of the fatty acids. Where does this take place? So we have talked about the tissues. Remember brain does not have the machinery to do adequate beta oxidation. So typically it occurs in the skeletal muscle as well as the liver. Now if you think about these tissues, where in these tissues, what is the uh, subcellular organelle where it takes place? It is within the mitochondria. So all the reactions of beta oxidation happen within the matrix of the mitochondria. You can technically divide the stages of beta oxidation as activation of the fatty acid. So initially, before it enters into the mitochondria, you need to activate the fatty acid. And this takes place on the cytosolic side. So once the fatty acid is activated, the next step is transport into the matrix of the mitochondria. Yeah? That is an important step because it, it includes many steps. Yeah? And there are different sites where problems could occur resulting in defective beta oxidation. So pay attention to transport of fatty acid from the cytosol into the mitochondrial matrix. And finally, we come to beta oxidation proper. All these reactions of beta oxidation proper actually happen within the matrix of the mitochondria. Yeah? So that is basically where it happens. Now remember, in, in cells that lack mitochondria, like the RBC, the cells of the eye, these tissues cannot do beta oxidation because they do not have the machinery or the enzymes to do beta oxidation. So you essentially require mitochondria and you require highly aerobic tissues to do beta oxidation. The first step of beta oxidation will be the activation of fatty acid. Now if you observe this step, what is happening, the change that is happening is this is your free fatty acid is linked to a coenzyme A. So fatty acid is linked to a coenzyme A. The enzyme is a synthetase. It's a synthetase. Note that this, is, this enzyme is present in the cytosol. Now this reaction is kind of unusual because it uses ATP, but it forms AMP. That means it uses two high energy bonds for the formation of the activated fatty acid. Remember, this is towards the cytosolic side. It is towards the cytosolic side. Okay. Now the next step is very important where the fatty acyl CoA that is in the cytosol is next has to enter into the matrix of the mitochondria. Now you know that the mitochondria has two membranes. Yeah? The outer membrane is not very stringent. That means it allows many substances to pass through. Whereas it's the inner membrane that is a big problem. So inner membrane, you need to transport this fatty acyl CoA from the intermembrane space into the matrix of the mitochondria and that is the next step of beta oxidation. So basically what's happening in this slide is acyl-CoA that was formed in the cytosol has to be transported into the mitochondrial matrix. Remember the inner mitochondrial membrane is impermeable to acyl-CoA. It does not allow acyl-CoA to simply pass through. So you need a transport mechanism to, to, to transfer the acyl-CoA from the intermembrane space to the matrix. Okay? So what we have seen till now is fatty acid is activated to acyl-CoA. We also know that outer membrane is kind of permeable. Outer mitochondrial membrane is kind of permeable. It's not too stringent. So it allows acyl-CoA to pass through. The space in between here 
is what's called as the intermembrane space. Now, acyl-CoA in the intermembrane space is going to bind to a compound. So this is the guy that transports, that is required for the transport of fatty acid from the in, inter, uh, intermembrane space into the matrix of the mitochondria. So it's carnitine. Now, carnitine binds to the acyl group. The coenzyme A is given off to form acyl-carnitine. So basically, what happens is the carnitine links to acyl group so that it can now enter through the translocase. Yeah? So the first step is conversion or the binding of carnitine to the acyl group and to form acyl-carnitine. Now this enzyme is called as carnitine acyl transferase, CAT1, or carnitine, what is the P? Which is the most frequent fatty acid in humans? Palmitic acid. So it's also called a CPT or carnitine palmitoyl transferase 1. Yeah? CAT1 or CPT1. And that's the first step. CPT1 is present in the outer mitochondrial membrane. Next what happens is acyl carnitine is transported through the inner mitochondrial membrane by a specific translocase, which is the transporter. And acyl carnitine is now present within the mitochondrial matrix. So that is the next step. Acyl carnitine is now in the matrix. Now within the matrix or towards the matrix of the inner mitochondrial membrane, there is the second enzyme called as CAT2 or CPT2. So if you look at the action of CPT2, it basically transfers the acyl group or the fatty acid group back to coenzyme A to form acyl-CoA so that it can be used for beta oxidation. The carnitine is liberated. The carnitine that is liberated by CPT2 goes back into the intermembrane space so that it can bring one more fatty acid molecule into the matrix of the mitochondria. Okay? Now this step, this whole transport mechanism is super important. All of what I've described is on the next slide, so you don't have to write it down. It's this step, or this whole process is, is important because there are deficiencies of CPT1, CPT2, or carnitine deficiency. All these three can cause defect in beta oxidation. And depending on the tissue that you have the defect in, you have different kinds of defects of beta oxidation. Okay? So CPT1, CPT2, and carnitine, all of them are super important for this transport of fatty acid from the cytosol or from the intermembrane space into the mat matrix of the mitochondria. Okay? Now, a small note on CPT1. You remember CPT1 can be regulated by malonyl-CoA, by malonyl-CoA. Malonyl-CoA, where have you heard of this intermediate? Malonyl-CoA is an intermediate of fatty acid synthesis. Yeah? So when you have high levels of malonyl-CoA, malonyl-CoA will inhibit CPT1. That means when you have high levels of malonyl-CoA, that tells you that fatty acid synthesis is active, and when fatty acid synthesis is active, you don't want to break down the fatty acid. In other words, you don't want beta oxidation to happen. Okay? So all of that has been explained on this slide. Okay? So now our acyl-CoA is now in the matrix of the mitochondria. Now, in the matrix of the mitochondria, you have the actual reactions of beta oxidation. So if you think about the reactions of beta oxidation, basically it's a sequence of four reactions. The first step 
is oxidation, that is removal of um, hydrogen. FAD is the acceptor of protons. The next step is addition of water or hydration followed by the second oxidation. This step requires NAD and finally you cut off the fatty acid and what is cut off is a two carbon moiety and this is acetyl-CoA. So basically your long fatty acid is broken down at the end of one cycle of beta oxidation into a two carbon unit called as acetyl-CoA. Okay? So if you want to think about it, I've taken the example of an eight carbon fatty acid. So you begin with an eight carbon fatty acid. So at the end of one round of beta oxidation, that is oxidation, addition of water, oxidation, and the final step is cutting off or cleavage, cleavage. what happens is there is you cut off a two carbon unit and that is acetyl-CoA. Yeah? So this is after first round of beta oxidation. What happens next is this fatty acid, the shortened fatty acid that is six carbon atoms long, will again go through the entire process of beta oxidation to cut off the second two carbon unit that's again which will be released as acetyl-CoA. You will be left with a four carbon fatty acid. So note that after one cycle of beta oxidation, the, the fatty acid chain is shortened by two carbon atoms. So, so we, we just want you all to identify that this is a sequential reaction and will happen until so it, these rounds of beta oxidation. So this is your first round of beta oxidation, the second round of beta oxidation, the third round of beta oxidation, and at the end you have four molecules of acetyl-CoA. Yeah? So it's each time, note that the fatty acid is going to be shortened by two carbon atoms. So technically, you go back, write on a piece of paper, C, 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 make, make sure it's even number of carbon atoms, cut off two at a time. That is basically what's happening in beta oxidation. So two carbon units, are so the fatty acid um, is broken down into two carbon units of acetyl-CoA. Yeah? Now, if you think about this, from an eight carbon fatty acid, how many acetyl-CoA did you get? you got four, yeah? so you got four acetyl-CoA. How many rounds of beta oxidation did you do? You did four minus one, that is three, three rounds of beta oxidation. Yeah? So, so it's, it's just a matter of you know, how many times did you cut it or how many rounds of beta oxidation. It is the number of acetyl-CoA minus one. Okay? Now let's, let's try to expand this to the palmitic acid, oxidation of palmitic acid, which is basically a 16 carbon fatty acid. So it undergoes oxidation, hydration, the second oxidation, and you cut off a two carbon atom. So now you have an acetyl-CoA, and now you have a 14 carbon fatty acid. What happens next is, again, the next round of beta oxidation, the fatty acid chain is shortened by two carbon atoms, and the next acetyl-CoA goes off. Okay? So this is a sequential reaction until your entire 16 carbon fatty acid which is broken down into how many acetyl-CoA? 16 by 2 gives you 8 acetyl-CoA. How many rounds of beta oxidation will, will it need? 8 minus 1 gives you 7. So 7 rounds of beta oxidation and 8 acetyl-CoA molecules. Okay? So acetyl-CoA in most tissues enters into the Krebs cycle except in the liver there is one more one more function of acetyl-CoA that is formed. Most of the time, in, like in the muscle, the skeletal, or the cardiac muscle, the acetyl-CoA most of the time enters into the Krebs cycle. Now, if you want to think about the energetics of beta-oxidation, 
remember in the first oxidation step that is FADH2 now that gives you 1.5 now we are we're not very stingy so let's make it 2 okay so 2 ATP for every FADH2 NADH gives you 2.5 if you want to be super accurate but for for you know for discussion purposes just let's round off the figure to 3 ATP so about 5 ATP for every round of beta oxidation and remember if acetyl-CoA all of it grows into the Krebs cycle each acetyl-CoA gives you how many ATP by the Krebs cycle 12 ATP yeah so that's quite a lot of energy yeah try to compare it to uh, oxidation of glucose which is not so high okay so it's it's a highly energy dense molecule fatty acid okay now so we've seen the entire concept of beta oxidation now next we move on to the actual enzymes now the first one is an oxidation the name of the enzyme this is your super important enzyme that's why it's been highlighted acyl-CoA dehydrogenase which requires FAD or a riboflavin coenzyme followed by a hydratase the second dehydrogenase requires NAD and thiolase is the one that cuts off and removes two carbon atoms as acetyl-CoA yeah. so we have seen that 16 carbon palmitic acid forms acetyl-CoA and this is seven rounds of beta oxidation gives you seven FADH2 and seven NADH yeah. so that's how you get the seven FADH2 and seven NADH we've also described that each acetyl-CoA will enter the Krebs cycle to form 12 ATP so this one is our super important enzyme of beta oxidation acyl-CoA dehydrogenase now we don't expect you to remember each of these enzymes except the first enzyme okay we just want you to know the this the whole concept of beta oxidation don't try to break your head over these structures okay now acyl-CoA dehydrogenase removes two hydrogen as FADH2 next what happens is addition of water then removal of hydrogen to form a double bond to form a keto acid sorry keto acid and and then the cleavage to form acetyl coa yeah so we just want you to know the the overall so if you look at the objective it is outline don't don't break your head over each step i want you to spend some time on acyl coa dehydrogenase now acyl coa dehydrogenase which is the first oxidation step of of uh, beta oxidation has a so if you read this carefully it has some chain length specificity so if you look at the different kinds of acyl-CoA dehydrogenases you find that there is LCAD which is long chain acyl-CoA dehydrogenase there is another enzyme called MCAD or medium chain acyl-CoA dehydrogenase and the, the third one is SCAD or short chain acyl-CoA dehydrogenase so let's see what is, what is the actual importance out of the three that I just named MCAD is the one that is most important and deficiency is most commonly associated with the medium chain acyl-CoA dehydrogenase yeah so all of them do the same thing but they have different chain length specificity so we'll try to explain the whole concept of the different chain length specificity so again in this entire thing I want you all to pay attention to acyl-CoA dehydrogenase the sequence of the reactions which finally form acetyl-CoA in other words the sequence of beta oxidation okay now let's try to explain what is the chain length specificity 
Now, if you begin with palmitic acid, which is a 16-carbon fatty acid, which is also known as a long-chain acyl-CoA or a long-chain fatty acid. Now, the first few cycles of beta-oxidation will occur with LCAD, long-chain acyl-CoA dehydrogenase. So, the first enzyme of the first few cycles of beta-oxidation will be LCAD because it's specific for long-chain acyl-CoA. Now, until the fatty acid is about 10 carbon atoms. So, once it becomes 10 carbon atom acyl-CoA, it's now a medium-chain fatty acid. So, now a different group of enzymes act on the first step. So, you now have medium-chain acyl-CoA dehydrogenase or MCAD, which again, you have the sequence of beta-oxidation from 10 carbon fatty acid or acyl-CoA, you now by a sequence of reactions, you now form a 6-carbon fatty acid or 6-carbon acyl-CoA. And from 6-carbon atom downwards, it is called a short-chain acyl-CoA. So then you have a different group of enzymes called as short-chain acyl-CoA dehydrogenase, which finally break down this short-chain fatty acid into molecules of acetyl-CoA. Yeah? So you understand the sequence? So all of your long-chain fatty acids require LCAD, MCAD, and SCAD. Yeah? Now, the most common deficiency associated with beta-oxidation is deficiency of this enzyme, MCAD. That's why we are paying so much attention to it. Yeah? So when there is deficiency of MCAD, what you have to imagine is your long-chain fatty acids will be oxidized by LCAD or will undergo the first few cycles of beta-oxidation and will be stalled at the 10-carbon level. So you will have accumulation of 8 and 10 carbon fatty acids. Yeah? In other words, the medium chain fatty acids in the circulation yeah? or in the liver cell. Now, uh, briefly about energetics, I just want you all to compare it to oxidation of glucose, which is about 38 ATP per molecule of glucose, 36 or 38. Whereas if you oxidize palmitic acid, you have formation of 8-acetyl-CoA that gives you 96 ATP via the Krebs cycle. 7-FADH2 will give you 14 ATP by the electron transport chain. 7-NADH will give you 21. So that if you add it all up, it gives 131. Remember, you have used 2 ATP or 2 high-energy bonds in the activation step. Yeah, that's your synthetase, the first activation step. In other words, the net ATP generation is quite high, 129 ATP for every palmitic acid. Okay. So next we'll move on to, so we now know the normal process of beta oxidation. Let's move on to the disorders associated with fatty acid oxidation. Now remember that in the fasting state, about 60 to 70% of your energy is coming from beta oxidation or fatty acid oxidation. Yeah. Now there are two ways to classify beta-oxidation disorders. Yeah? It's dependent on the tissues that are affected. The, mo the more severe one is what's called as systemic fatty acid oxidation defect. Systemic fatty acid oxidation defect. Now, when I say systemic fatty acid oxidation defect, what has to first come to your mind is that there is going to be a defect in beta-oxidation in the liver. It involves the liver. Muscle is also involved but it's basically the liver who is, where beta-oxidation beta is not taking place, and that is going to create severe problems. So systemic fatty acid oxidation defects are very severe. They can be quite severe. 
they present at a much earlier age than the other group. Yeah, they're quite severe disorders. The most common of them is MCAD deficiency, which is medium chain acyl-CoA dehydrogenase, which is the first enzyme of beta oxidation, that is catalyzing an oxidation reaction. The next step, the, the next common um, disorder in which you find systemic beta oxidation defect is a severe deficiency in carnitine. So carnitine is required for the transport of fatty acids for beta oxidation. So when you have a severe deficiency of carnitine, you may have systemic beta oxidation defect. The third disorder is inherited deficiency of CPT1. Now CPT1 deficiency more commonly presents as defect in the liver. And that's why we say that CPT1 most commonly presents in a systemic fashion. So CPT1, the isoenzyme found in the liver, is the one that's most frequently subject to mutation. So CPT1 deficiency, that's the liver isoenzyme, can also cause systemic beta oxidation defect. Now, so what's, what's the problem in a patient with systemic beta oxidation defect? So to explain what's the problem, remember the liver is involved. So you have to understand what is the importance of beta oxidation in the liver. What's, why should we do beta oxidation during fasting in the liver? It's source of energy, yeah, it's source of energy. And what else? Source of, why do we need energy during the fasting state? For gluconeogenesis, yes. So beta oxidation and gluconeogenesis are very tightly um, interlinked. So you need beta oxidation to provide ATP for gluconeogenesis. There is one more job of beta oxidation. What is that? It forms, what is the end product of beta oxidation? Acetyl-CoA, acetyl-CoA is required as a, is there a relationship between acetyl-CoA and gluconeogenesis? Yes, where is that? Pyruvate carboxylase requires acetyl-CoA as the absolute activator. So in children with systemic beta oxidation defect, what is going to happen is gluconeogenesis is going to be affected. So gluconeogenesis is going to be affected. We gave you two reasons why gluconeogenesis is affected. There is less of ATP generation because beta oxidation is the one that supplies energy for gluconeogenesis. The second thing that happens is you do not have enough of acetyl-CoA and there is no or there is less of activation of pyruvate carboxylase which is the, one of the key enzymes of gluconeogenesis. So hypoglycemia is because of reduced gluconeogenesis. Now besides that, you have to think about, so beta oxidation is defective, remember it's systemic, so all tissues are now using glucose rather than fatty acids as an energy supply. So that could be the second reason for the severe hypoglycemia seen in children with systemic beta oxidation defect. So hypoglycemia can be due to two reasons. One is reduced gluconeogenesis, it could also be due to more utilization of glucose by the peripheral tissues. Yeah? So because peripheral tissues now need an energy supply, they don't have fatty acids, so they start utilizing glucose as the energy supply. Now besides that, we will be studying later that beta oxidation forms acetyl-CoA, which is basically a substrate for ketogenesis or ketone body formation. So when there is a defect in beta oxidation in the liver, what happens is there is going to be less of acetyl-CoA 
and therefore hypoglycemia with low level of ketone bodies in the circulation and that's called as hypoketosis hypoketosis so if you look at the ketone body level in the fasting state it should normally be higher but in these children it is not elevated yeah it's rather normal or below normal okay it's called as hypoketosis so we talked about systemic beta oxidation defect or systemic fatty acid oxidation defect much more severe presents at an earlier age than myopathic so as the name tells you what does myopathic mean confined to the muscle confined to the muscle so typically the muscles that are affected are most commonly skeletal but can also affect the cardiac muscle the most common manifestations is muscle cramps during exercise and typically presents during adolescence yeah not not in not in early childhood as in systemic beta oxidation defect but a systemic beta oxidation defect typically presents earlier than myopathic an important finding is if you do a muscle biopsy you 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 take a muscle biopsy and look at it under the microscope you will find there is accumulation of lipid droplets or triacylglycerol within the muscle and this is one of the cardinal features of myopathic fatty acid oxidation defect now examples of myopathic fatty acid oxidation defect would be carnitine deficiency we can say that it's less severe carnitine deficiency just confined to the muscle so that's called as myopathic carnitine deficiency the second disorder is cpt2 defect or mutations now cpt2 mutations typically the muscle isoform is affected and therefore children with cp2 to defect typically the they have the myopathic form of the beta oxidation defect okay okay so now we have we have learned about beta oxidation and what are the disorders let's look at this patient so uh, the the name of the patient is kind of gives you an idea of what is happening she is not able to oxidize fat yeah <laughs> So this is a 16-year-old girl. No fat. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it took some time. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Now, in this textbook, he loves he loves naming the patients according to the biochemical defect. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's look at her. She is she has recurrent episodes of hypoglycemia and quite severe hypoglycemia ever since she was very young. So the typical age of manifestations of a systemic beta oxidation defect is quite early in life typically um after the uh, you know once the baby starts once the feeding the free and the the interval between the feeds increases to more than 6 to 8 hours so typically around 10 to 14 months is the age of presentation of uh, systemic beta oxidation defect now the episodes will occur in the fasting state so there is fasting hypoglycemia or following an illness where there is reduced appetite and and your energy needs increase during uh, whenever there is an illness so typically in the there is hypoglycemia in the fasting state or when there is a stress or illness okay during one such episode it was observed that serum glucose was very low you know that the normal is about 70 70 200 so note that there is severe hypoglycemia what is the cause of the hypoglycemia so basically two causes 
the peripheral tissues are now dependent only on glucose as the energy supply and the second reason is since this is affecting the liver the beta oxidation in the leaf, liver is affected what what happens is there is not enough atp or acetyl coa to fuel gluconeogenesis so gluconeogenesis is reduced in children with systemic beta oxidation defect now the free fatty acids in the blood where are these coming from free fatty acids in the blood is coming from where are your free fatty acids in the blood coming from from the adipocyte by a process of lipolysis so hormone sensitive lipase is okay it is still breaking down the tag in the adipocyte so free fatty acid in the blood is elevated but they are not being oxidized in the liver okay so breakdown of tag in the adipocyte is not affected so if you measure the free fatty acids in the blood you will find that they are normal in other words they are elevated because she is in the fasting state your free fatty acid is elevated because of lipolysis in the adipose tissue in the later part of i think next lecture we'll explain why are the ketone body levels low but you know that that's because of less of acetyl coa which is basically a substrate for ketone body formation so what happens in these children so if you look at the incidence of mcad deficiency it's it's supposed to be one of the most common one of the one of the commoner autosomal recessive disorders yeah mcad deficiency now what happens in in, chi in children with mcad deficiency is they have reduced ability to oxidize the medium chain fatty acids so all remember all long chain fatty acids for beta oxidation require require mcad so what happens in these children is lcad will be active but once they come to the 10 carbon atom level it cannot be acted upon by that enzyme that is mcad because there is deficiency or reduced activity of mcad as a result you will find an accumulation of c6 or c8 to 10 carbon atoms in other words these will accumulate in the blood as well as in the urine now one of the frequently asked questions so that's one of the typical profile in a child with mcad deficiency or in a child with systemic beta oxidation defect typically mcad deficiency so this is one of the cardinal features one of the frequently asked questions is why is it linked to carnitine so you find that these medium chain fatty acids now maybe to solubilize them we require something so you want to excrete them because they can be quite toxic so most likely what happens is carnitine is trying to protect the tissues by trying to excrete the medium chain fatty acids or the median chain uh, fatty acids as acyl carnitine so typically if you look at the acyl carnitine in these children you will find that it ranges from 8 to 10 carbon atoms which is grouped as medium chain acyl carnitines yeah medium chain fatty acids or acyl carnitines now so that's why you find this prof profile okay now another kind of fatty acids called as dicarboxylic acids you find that they are increased in the urine of children with um, mcad deficiency so we'll come to that because what what happens is beta oxidation is the main pathway by which fatty acids are oxidized now when the main pathway there is a block in the main pathway what happens is the fatty acids are channeled 
towards an alternate pathway which is typically a minor pathway and that's called as omega oxidation and we are going to come to that later in this lecture so we'll explain why is dicarboxylic acids excreted in or found in the urine that's because it's be, it's the fatty acids are now being channeled to a minor pathway of oxidation that's called as omega oxidation okay so because of mcad deficiency there is reduction beta oxidation of the medium chain fatty acids the typical profile is you fi find fatty acids with c8 to c10 carbon atoms and there is presence of dicarboxylic acids in the urine hypoglycemia we have explained why is there hypoglycemia because more utilization by glucose oh sorry more utilization of glucose by the peripheral tissues also because of reduced gluconeogenesis so we have explained that and hypoketonemia because there is reduced substrate or reduced formation of acetyl coa because the entire beta oxidation provides acetyl coa which can later form ketone bodies yeah so these are the cardinal features of children with mcad deficiency now the next disorder of beta oxidation is where the transport the transporter is you have less of the transporter that is carnitine deficiency deficiency of carnitine which is the transporter required to transport acyl coa from the intermembrane space into the matrix now in some children we say if if the symptoms are present quite early in life and if they are quite severe we say that the children have systemic carnitine deficiency so these children will have hypoglycemia as well as reduced ketone body um levels in myopathic carnitine deficiency which is less severe you will find that there is muscle weakness or cramping and there is there may be cardiomyopathy because of um because the uh, cardiac muscle is unable to use fatty acids as energy supply so in myopathic beta oxidation defect remember there is you may find high levels of the enzyme ckmm which is typically present within the muscle so that presence of ckmm high levels of ckmm in the blood tells you that the muscle is not well yeah so in other words it is an indicator of muscle damage also a cardinal finding is droplets lipid droplets or tri, uh, tag droplets in the muscle biopsy okay cpt1 and 2 deficiency cpt1 most commonly affects the liver the liver isoenzyme is affected so systemic form is more common and when i say systemic form remember there will be hypoglycemia and hypoketosis now where a cpt2 deficiency typically affects the muscle isoenzyme form and this will present as muscle weakness or cramping okay now at at this point it's very tough at this level to differentiate between all of these so what we would want you all to differentiate is between a systemic fatty acid defect versus a myopathic fatty acid defect or oxidation defect okay and that is basically a symptomatic differentiation between systemic versus myopathic okay the the management is different because systemic is much more severe you have to first treat the hypoglycemia avoid fasting and high carbohydrate diet is typically used 
whereas myopathic fatty acid oxidation defect you have to stop muscle activity in other words prevent the occurrence of cramping yeah carnitine supplementation can help in children with myopathic fatty acid oxidation defect so you have a case report on this i think um a case discussion is on monday i think so make sure you review this before you come for the case yeah the entire beta oxidation now how many of you have eaten this fruit this is called you've eaten it it's tasty okay that's this is the aki fruit yeah the aki fruit is typically in the caribbean and and this is an unripe aki fruit so never eat this okay now even this is not too good it is somewhat ripe but a typical ripe aki fruit should actually open okay so if it is in the unripe stage what happens is it has an inhibitor of mcad again that super important enzyme that we are talking about there is an inhibitor of mcad so if you cook or eat any of these typically the unripe ones they contain a compound or an toxin called as hypoglycin a which is an inhibitor of that same important enzyme that is mcad and as a result following ingestion of unripe aki fruit typically there is onset of vomiting and later dizziness and sometimes even uh, seizures and that is because of the severe hypoglycemia that is due to inhibition of beta oxidation okay so you are able to explain why is there hypoglycemia the cause is the same so when you inhibit beta oxidation what happens is the peripheral tissues start utilizing glucose more and besides that beta oxidation provides atp and acetyl coa to activate gluconeogenesis or to begin gluconeogenesis so basically in in jamaican vomiting vomiting sickness what happens is there is hypoglycemia following the ingestion of the unripe aki fruit okay and since it inhibits mcad you may find medium chain acyl carnitines that is c8 to c10 uh, acyl carnitines in the blood as well as urine okay so this is kind of interesting yeah and it seems the first uh, there was a patient in new york and it seems an sgu graduate was the one who identified so to so make sure yeah what's that yeah yeah i know i know yeah yeah i i read it yes <laughs> okay so that that woke you all up huh thank you yeah <laughs> so now um most of the fatty acids in nature as well as as in us yeah you you saw fatty acid synthesis most of it is what's called as even chain fatty acid that means they have an even number of carbon atoms yeah however some some uh, lipids in the diet contain what's called as the odd chain fatty acids odd chain fatty acid now when you do beta oxidation of an odd chain fatty acid so just again write an odd chain fatty acid cut it in 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 pieces of two you find that at the end during the last cycle of beta oxidation you're left with the three carbon atom group and that's called as propionyl coa so this is your three carbon atom group at the end so you have the formation of one propionyl coa whenever you oxidize these unusual odd chain fatty acids yeah so this three carbon 
propionyl-CoA is can enter into the mainstream pathway by first being converted into methylmalonyl-CoA. This enzyme is important because it contains biotin, propionyl-CoA carboxylase. And this is your second or third carboxylase? How many carboxylases have you studied till now? So pyruvate carboxylase and gluconeogenesis, acetyl-CoA carboxylase in fatty acid synthesis, and propionyl-CoA carboxylase, which is required for the metabolism of propionyl-CoA. That is conversion of propionyl-CoA to methylmalonyl-CoA. Now methylmalonyl-CoA is next converted into succinyl-CoA. In other words, it's converted into a Krebs cycle intermediate. The next step is catalyzed by a mutase, which requires vitamin B12. Vitamin B12. Only two reactions require vitamin B12, and this is one. Only two. There are only two enzymes that require vitamin B12, and this is one of them. Now, this is kind of important because the conversion of propionyl-CoA to succinyl-CoA requires two vitamins, and propionyl-CoA is formed as a result of odd-chain fatty acid metabolism. Besides that, many amino acids can also form propionyl-CoA. Yeah? So many amino acids. So you're going to come to that under nitrogen metabolism. So all of these, this propionyl-CoA that is formed will be converted into succinyl-CoA, which then enters into the Krebs cycle. So pay attention to the, the coenzymes and the enzymes required for this conversion. So I think you can have your 10-minute break, and once you come back, we'll, we'll continue with the lecture. Thank you.